What's going on, everybody? I am J.M. Banks, and you are tuned into Urban Alchemy Podcast, brought to you by the Pitch Podcast Network. It is Monday, so you know what that means. It is our Monday Media Reviews. I am joined in the studio with my co-host, Eric Hawthorne. Thank you for being back. It feels like forever since you've been in here. Is that right? I mean, was I missed? You, Of course you were missed, Eric. You know I hate recording alone. You know I cannot. By whom? I need you to say it. <laughs> I, I missed you, Eric. Thank you. Yeah, it means a lot to know that I'm appreciated, that I'm loved, and that my presence, my absence of my presence was felt. But no, it's Monday Media Reviews. First off, thank you to all of our listeners out there tuning in each and every week to make this show possible. We do truly appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. And special shout out to all the listeners here in the Kansas City area and all the creatives putting out work here. Music for the episode is going to be getting provided to us by Styles the Artiste and his track Hindsight. He is a brother out of Florida who is doing great music, so please be sure to check him out as well as all the music that is supplied to our show on our Spotify playlist, Urban Alchemy playlist. So be sure to check all of them out and support your local creatives. So let's get into it for today's media review. It is the fourth day of my favorite month in the entire year, October. And I thought what better way to celebrate than one of my first introductions to black horror cinema by reviewing the 1995 horror film Tales from the Hood. Uh, do you remember the f- your first uh, introduction with this movie, Eric, when it came out? 1995. So I was seven and you were, what, eight? 19, <clears throat> 1995, I would have been eight, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember your first uh, thoughts when you heard this movie was coming out? Um, no, I didn't see it in the theater. Um I think, you know, the first time I would have seen it would have been on VHS. And that would have been with my cousins. And uh, we... Another <laughs> Hawthorne horror experience with the cousins. No, no. But it, it was a good movie. But as a kid, I didn't understand some of the deeper subtext to the film, of right. course. But I thought it was... Yeah, it was. Because um, I was a huge Tales from the Crypt fan growing I up. as well. So as soon as I heard the the title, I was like, what? A Tales from the Crypt for us? Mm -hmm. And it was just crazy. And I watched this movie like I did with The Eves Bayou a few uh, weeks ago and just kind of looked at it with new eyes as an adult. Of course, this movie has the late, great Clarence Williams III, who just recently passed, rest in peace. And yeah, it wasn't until he passed I realized just how many movies he was in and how many iconic roles he's played in black cinema and yeah, this by far has to be one of my favorite roles he's he's played in his his uh, tenure. Uh, it's probably this one is number one, and then the second one is probably I'm going to get you sucker. Man, uh, it, it's literally so many to go off of. But uh, Hoodlum would probably be mine. He played oh, really? or not not Bub. He played Bub and Hoodlum, and then he played um, Bumpy Johnson in American Gangster. Okay. Which I thought was interesting. But yeah, this movie was black horror cinema uh, was was not something that really happened all that often. I mean, we just now are starting to get more and more black horror cinema with the emergence of Jordan Peele and other, you know, individuals who are starting to go into that that genre. Like you see TV shows like them and, you know, of course, like um Candyman remake. Yeah, but this one, the distinction between this and the Candyman movie that just came out is that 
this one does social commentary correctly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one does touch on some very heavy uh, subject matter without being heavy handed. Uh, well, it, it could be heavy handed because it's not a serious. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's an anthology story. So you get several different stories that make this up uh, as it's being told to the main characters. So let's just get right into it. Uh, if you have not seen this movie, it's highly recommended. Uh, it is a, a great film to just start off this uh, Halloween season. But yeah, it opens up with three three uh, black men who are visiting visiting a funeral home to pick up drugs. Uh, and the, they are played by Joe Torre, DeAndre Bonds, and Samuel Monroe Jr. Uh, which, if you know your black cinema, those are two. Those are three people who pop up periodically. Right, they're big characters, and you know they play um, pretty established characters. Like DeAndre Bonds, you would know him from uh, the Wood. The Wood, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had to think for a second, and, but from uh, the Wood, locked up and locked up, yeah. But yeah, uh, and of course, um, Samuel Monroe Jr. You'd know from uh, Minister Society. Joe Torrey, you would probably know from uh, what was it? Uh, American History. American X. History X with Edward yeah. Norton. Yeah. Great picks. Well, that was right off the top of the heads right there. Right. Those were, yeah. So you would know these characters if you saw them. They're just not very popular. Yeah, yeah. They're not actors. known. Like uh, Bokeem Woodbine. Yeah, right. Bokeem <laughs> Woodbine, you know, you can probably name Sticky Fingers. Five, ten movies that Bokeem is in. Dead Presidents. Just watch that, too. We need to go over Dead Presidents. Yeah, we definitely do. But no, uh, this, it, like I said, opens up with them visiting this. Uh, funeral home to pick up drugs and then they are introduced to the uh mortician who is played by williams the third and he gives a great just a great performance he's really uh he plays mr sims the funeral home director and the uh undertaker he goes over the top and that's one of the things i really love about williams is he's he, when he's able to like have fun with the role he does like in half baked like mm -hmm. He, he's one of those actors who can do super serious Shakespearean, but then he can flip to over the top kind of zany. But yeah, he's pretty much this version of the Crypt Keeper. Like he's telling these stories and he begins to introduce these various dead bodies and their um, what led to their demise. The first story is the Rogue Cop Revelation. Now, this story deals with police brutality as well as uh, people in our community turning against one another or not doing the right thing to protect our own skin. Now, it's crazy looking back at how this movie came out in 1995. We were just off the hills of the Rodney King riots, and we still have a lot of the same stuff that we are, we're complaining about. And that this is the kind of stuff that led to Black Lives Matters. And, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter, I always put the S at the end of it. But no, 20 years later, it's still the same shit, and people are still asking, you know, what's the problem? But yeah, it follows the story of a group of cops who ran into a community activist who they had issue with, who had taken up against the police and, and has publicly shamed them and their abuse of black people. On a rookie cop's night, they do a stop of this, this individual and his training officers who are all white uh, decide they want to start to rough the guy up. And it's just a, a very interesting commentary, especially looking back at it as a kid. Like, what do you do in this situation, especially for cops? Do you go along with it? Because there, there's the old saying about the, the thin blue line. 
mm-hmm. and uh, cops, no matter the race, they, they they stick by their own. And this cop in the film uh, let it happen. He let them beat this guy up and was pretty much given an ultimatum to say, hey, either do what we say do or that's a wrap for you as well. So they he allows this to happen. He they they make it seem like this this cop or the community activist, excuse me, is was on drugs and had been in a car accident. When in all actuality, they beat him to death and covered up his death. So a year later, the the black cop is guilt ridden and he quits the force. And the <clears throat> the other cops are uh, begin to be haunted by the spirit of the community activist uh, Ezekiel Morehouse. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Martin Ezekiel Morehouse. But yeah, he comes back. He starts to haunt them. I think this is one of the more creative ones because they have some very creative deaths in terms of uh, how he picks off these cops one by one. When he's like telekinesis with needles, the other one he like absorbs into a graffiti wall. Like uh, he rips one of their hearts out, doesn't he? I, I believe no, it was the he... dick. As they were pissing on his grave, they go to the graveyard, uh-huh. and yeah, um, he reaches his hand. He's pretty much like a zombie or a ghost or whatever, but uh, not the best story, not my favorite story. But this... No, it's not mine either. Although it is the first story told within the context of the film, it's not really one that really stuck out to me yeah, as a yeah. kid or even as an adult. Like, the other two really are burned into my head. Um, I think now that I'm an adult, I would pay more attention to this particular story because it is relevant to what we're going through today. But the next two stories kind of had relevance to you as a child. Yeah, uh, well, that's one thing I do like about this particular movie is they go through different genres uh, within, this one was more akin to zombies, Mm -hmm. uh, turning against your own. The next one, uh, Boys Don't Get Bruised, uh, was one of the most chilling ones in my... Yeah, mine as well. Because it was a story that was more so centered around... You, you get the feeling it's uh, more so paranormal. But the frightening aspects come from the fact that it's so real to life. It's so right. drenched in actual reality. And it tackles the uh, issues of domestic violence or um, violence from a domestic spouse onto a kid. Something we still have... Well, yeah, it's, Running a, amok here it's today. a good social commentary on, on the domestic violence aspect that you talked about. But then I would say there's an overarching issue within our community in particular and where we invite people into our homes and yeah. put them around our children. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers when you were little, your aunt or your grandma saying, oh, go give your auntie such and such a kiss or, mm-hmm. you know, go give your uncle a hug. And they're not really your uncle or they're not really your aunt, but they're your play aunt, play uncle or whatnot. And so this kind of touches a little bit on that about who we allow into our house. Yeah, this film, I mean, this story in particular is in regards to a young boy and his teacher. And the teacher begins to notice uh, bruises on the boy, which are marks indications of abuse at home. This film uh, is really good. The child actor in this film uh, was really good at just playing like that, giving those hallmarks of an abused child. And, you know, he goes on to find out that the mother has a boyfriend. It's a really good commentary on is it better to just not let the boy have a father or to introduce him to this domineering disciplinarian like which one is going to have the more negative effect not having a father or having this monster in the house 
Right. And uh, I think David Allen Greer does a very good job at playing this role. Now, we know David Allen Greer from comedy, um, from, was it Boomerang, Living Color. Living Color. So this is a very different role for, for him, a departure from complete his... Complete departure. Yeah, complete departure. And he does a really good job at what he is, t- you know, instructed to do in this film. And it had to be a heavy subject matter, mm. uh, playing somebody so angry, spiteful, and hateful, particularly towards a child. But you can tell he takes the subject matter very seriously, and it reflects that on the screen. Absolutely, he definitely had to do some sort of research. Uh, I, I, or, or, or you never know. This something like this right. could have happened to him as a child. Absolutely. I don't know his background, or he may know somebody. But like I said, within our community, I can say that you know stuff like this happens but you're told to you know be silent about it absolutely yeah I mean, that, i'm glad you touched on that it could have exactly been an experience of his own because mm-hmm. i've met people like this like i went to high school with people who have fathers who were super strict to the point where i'm like i know he would smack me i'm not even his kid and i'm sure he probably right. put his hands on or me. not even fathers but mom's boyfriend which is the oh, situation yeah. right here sometimes you know uh, young single mothers, they'll bring, uh, you know, a man around their uh, children, you know, looking for a relationship. Man may not necessarily accept the child or overreaches and or feel like feels as if he's not being respected. Right. As the man of the house, the man of the house. So, you know, these kinds of situations, like I said, happen all the time. And it's sad to hear that this happens. But once again, the social commentary here. It's this is one of the more serious stories, but it's not like so on the nose, like, hey, look at me, look at this, this is what we're trying to say. They do it in an artistic way where it is scary in terms of, you know, he's the monster, he's actually the one causing the child pain, the bruises and whatnot. But then the resolution, I think, is what's really cool. And I think that's something today that you know somebody like a jordan peele would come up with the monster in a philosophical way and then let's go ahead and since i'm the boy he's artistic so what he does is he draws pictures of this monster who is david allen greer and so he realizes that he has power in his drawings and it's sort of a you want to say voodoo type of thing i don't know how manifestation manifestation and where he you know Damages. damages the drawing and realizes that it hurts uh, the boyfriend, David well, Allen Greer. Earlier, it was, a, it was an instance where it was a young boy that he didn't care for. He drew a picture of oh, him. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. And crumbled it up. And then the boy, like, broke mm-hmm. a bunch of bones. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you're sa- uh, saying in terms of the way less is more in right. this. particular. Like, they don't ever show you the monster. They show you, like, his feet, mm-hmm. like, hoofs right. coming up to the door and or a hand or the eyes Mm -hmm. and then you see like at the end that this is just uh, the young boy's imagination materializing Mm -hmm. his uh stepfather or the the boyfriend as this beast and i really loved at the end how the way that he rolled the way he rolls up his sleeves before he you know starts being abusive and you see the prison tattoo that says monster on his arm Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, yeah, the, the, despite the, you know, put together demeanor he wears, this is just really a prison nigga who's, who knows how to hide his true face. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, the teacher in this story is very suspicious and he does his due diligence as a teacher should instead of just saying, oh, well, the kid's 
acting weird, he goes to investigate. And upon going to the home, he finds out just how, you know, under the, the heel of this man he is. And upon trying to uh, intercede in their, uh, on their behalf, he starts getting beat up. And this, at one point, Dave and Allegria is fucking everybody in this whole house up. And yeah, that's with the point where the young boy uses this uh, paper with the drawing to start breaking them down and eventually they burn them. The, the end of him. But yeah, really, really heartfelt story that I loved. Um, yeah, that was probably uh, one of my favorites, but the next one is the one I think that everybody remembers. Duke Megger, uh, who is a, a senator um, who is uh, running for governor of the state and uh, he has some uh haunted dolls <laughs> i don't even know <laughs> how to he calls them negro dolls but they were hexed by uh, a hoodoo witch you know i hadn't seen this since i was a child <clears throat> because i think that i probably tried to block this part of my childhood out i don't know about you but looking at the dolls they seemed real as a kid now, if I were to see him again, see the claymation, the yeah. stop motion, I'd say I would probably, I wouldn't say laugh at it, but I'm like, man, why was I scared of this? But they, these dolls that were, you know, in these, what was it, pictures or something? Yeah, it was in a painting. Yeah, in a painting. Every now and again, the camera would go back to the painting and you would see that the, the a doll or two would be missing. And you're like, oh goodness, where are these dolls at? And, you know, they would be torturing people, torturing this man or whatever, trying to kill him. And as a kid, I just remember my cousins and I thinking that these little dolls would somehow jump out the screen, be under the couch or a chair or something and try to kill us. Yeah. Uh, and this one also uh, features uh, Roger Smith. Rudy. Rudy, yeah, I, was him, I almost called him Rudy, yeah, Roger Smith. Uh, you, we either call him Rudy, or what was he in? Uh, um, I was just why he was in East Bayou as well. No, but he was in, Lord have mercy, what is it? Um, the other Spike Lee joint. Oh, uh, Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing. The, what, with the who, matches. Yeah, uh, burns the place down. Yeah. I can't uh, remember his name now. I can't either. I just... Okay, because, you know, we had a whole course and a whole, like, three-week film session on that in high... I'm right. not in high school, in college. college. Where we discussed his character and the significance of his character and how he burned uh, the pizza parlor down. But not but, the significance of his name, evidently. Uh, obviously not. Maybe he wasn't that important. Okay? No. His actions were important. Yeah. But yeah, this one, this particular uh, one hit home as well. It was just very scary for me just because of the simple fact that you as a child, you could see the dolls coming from since they were coming from the painting into the scene, into the movie scene. Somehow I thought they could come from the TV <laughs> into real life. And that was, to me, terrifying as a child. I remember having countless uh, nightmares about this no you're right because the fact that it's a living doll is scary enough but it's a ghost doll that's mm -hmm. living like it's leaving a, a ghost reality and coming into the physical world mm -hmm. how the hell do you stop that no but uh the reason i, I brought up the uh, character uh, roger smith's character is because mm -hmm. he's the campaign manager for this ex-ku-klux klan right. politician 
And I, I love this character because he was just helping him be racist. And he's just like, I don't care. Right. I'm here for the job. And I always felt like that was super interesting to watch as a kid. Like, they, I, I don't know if that was like my first introduction to a sellout, but it's definitely one of my most profound cinematic ones. Like, damn, there are black people out here who don't care about white people being racist so long as they get the bag. Well, if I'm going to bring it to today's context, it makes me think about bring it all around. It makes me think about Omarosa, mm, okay, and the Trump administration. Uh, how you know she witnessed the things that were going on, didn't say anything, profited off of it. But once she got fired, then that's when she wanted to come out, and then she wanted to talk about the details that were going on behind the scenes. It's like, well, we don't really know, need to know what was going on behind the scenes because we could see everything up front because with the uh president trump's administration it was pretty much out in the open now that you say that we could actually reshoot that whole scene with trump and omarosa you think so and just switch out duke and and rogers characters <laughs> and everything would be exactly the same no uh it, it's i love that story because i also love the the backstory they tell about there was a pl uh, slave owner and at the end of the civil war Instead of freeing all of his slaves, he kills them all because he'd rather see them dead than freed. Mm -hmm. And then the, uh, the voodoo witch puts all the spirits into her doll collection. Mm -hmm. And then that's where you get these haunted dolls from. Uh, but yeah, it, you're right. It was super scary. It was very reminiscent of like Chucky and Child's right. Play, the way you just hear the little pitter-patter of feet. Right. And then it'll just pop out from like uh, under underneath something or jump from a chandelier or something. Yeah, it, it, it is super. It was a super scary story, especially as you notice, like the picture, like each time a doll would leave the picture, it'd just be a blank white spot right. until finally it's just the, the woman in the photo. And then she leaves the, the painting, too. And then these dolls pretty much just uh, converge on him and start eating him alive right. pretty much. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a super creepy story to watch as a kid. Uh, like I said, we, we covered ghost stories. uh <clears throat> zombie story ghost story uh and next one on the list is probably the most uh for me it was like the one i always tried to skip over and that was the uh hardcore convent or converts uh which told the story of crazy k uh lamont bentley uh any moesha fans out there definitely uh i forget his name but he played a moesha he was yeah, Hakeem. Nice Hakeem. He was nice guy, Hakeem. But yeah, in this in this story, he played Crazy K, who was a cold-blooded killer who ends up uh, getting shot at the beginning of his story, and he wakes up to find himself um, in in prison and a part of this experiment. Experiment, uh, which was always I don't know. This was like the most unsettling one out the mm -hmm. bunch to me because it was just. And they put him in this cell. Like, it was not a traditional prison. Like, it's this kind of... I don't know, man. You want to... If I just, you know, passed up on this one or what? It was the one I really didn't like watching because it made me so uncomfortable. But just... Okay, so he gets into a shootout with a few other individuals. And then these people, the individuals who end up shooting him, get shot by the police. Mm -hmm. And then he wakes up... Uh, in a prison and then from the prison he's taken to be a part of a um study uh, it's some sort of experiment uh, it, it was giving me a lot of clockwork a uh, clockwork orange vibes to it uh, like brainwashing and in the in the process he meets the doctor who is a uh, dr 
cushion. Uh, but that she is pretty much letting him know, like, they're doing experiments to find out why, you know, people are like they are. Why are people just born killers? And they put him next to a white supremacist, which was one of the craziest parts of the, of the movie for me as a kid. Hearing this white supremacist talk about how the black men in our society are important to them because they're killing way more black people than the KKK ever killed mm -hmm. in their day. And they pretty much tried to put him through this process where he would see images of violence against black men over and over again to, I guess, kind of resensitize him. Uh, I, I really think the story had more of a commentary on how black men are so desensitized to seeing violence against one another that we've just stopped seeing each other as humans. And I don't know if, it, if they were trying to say, long story short, he ends up being dead. There is no prison. He's in hell. And this is just a torture to him. Um, I vaguely remember this story. I remember it toward the end of the story. I don't remember the in-between. Yes, I will say that after just... I do remember the ending part of it, but I don't remember what led up to it necessarily. Yeah, there was the shooting, which right. takes, which takes, has to do with our twist ending at the mortuary. Right. But I do remember that. Yeah. So he, which is, is I really hate because they did it horribly because you can definitely tell who his shooters are uh, because they have very distinct voices. Right. That we've been listening to this whole movie, but he's, he's, you know, after these three men shoot him, the cops shoot the three assailants and he's taken to the institution to be studied to be uh analyzed and uh, they try to put him through these very harsh rounds of hypnosis where images are being blasted at him black men being lynched black men being shot civil rights uh dogs being sicked on people uh pictures of slaves with whipped backs and and then pictures of, of black men in the streets being shot you know right. and then you he starts seeing visions of his own victims and he uh each person he killed like different gang members it was a little girl he had shot and killed by accident and during the process of all this he just continues to have excuses as to why it's not his fault and then you find out the twist ending he's not really in an institution he's dead and that was pretty much like a test to see if he could have some sort of remorse or right. you know. like some a redemption or yeah but no he doesn't so he gets to be tortured in hell forever but yeah uh that was the last technical story and towards the end of it the three young men who you already probably figure out is the three shooters of crazy k in the last story and they feel like it's a setup. Like, this guy knows we killed this guy. Yeah, because at this point, I think Sims shows Crazy K in the casket. Yeah, that's, okay. I'm sorry, I missed that. Uh, each of these stories take place in the mortuary with Sims showing a dead body and then telling the story associated with that dead body. And yeah, the Crazy K was the last story. And they're there to pick up some drugs that Sims apparently had located and they begin to get agitated and they're like where the sh where's the shit at like we, we done fuck with you old man where is it and then that's when you find out that they're also dead the cops ended up shooting and killing them and they're not in a funeral home they're also in yeah, hell and sims hell. is the devil and it also gives a great uh, stop motion transformation of sims into satan with the horns and... now we imagine how scary that was as a child in today's technology, that would be completely horrifying. Yeah. 
it would be but the fact they were able to pull that off seamlessly like i don't know as a kid i was very impressed by all the effects yeah i was impressed by them as well i'm not going to say but i'm just saying now as we look at it with today's technology we will say uh was this as scary as i thought it was no i think it's like but but definitely still unsettling yeah absolutely it's like it like when i look back at it the original it with tim with curry, t- tim curry. <laughs> it's like okay this is ridiculous but it still has an air aura of even Candyman in certain senses like oh juice look for Candyman, bitch like <laughs> I, I die when i hear that line in Candyman. but no it's certain instances where like yeah it is kind of hokey and kind of 90s but that's nostalgia for you i don't know why we, we i don't know things were campy back then Things were campy, but I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see, I don't necessarily see a bad thing about camp all the time. I mean, sometimes camp is good. I, I don't see it as long as it doesn't border on a, I would rather have something a little bit campy knowing that it is campy rather going into something like this most recent Candyman and expecting a very, very serious film. And then you have somebody running away from Candyman saying, must move faster, must move faster. <laughs> like who says that while running away from impending doom? Like you're, what's the matter, little girl? You don't want a sweet. <laughs> and now it's time for the, the consecration the, the, <laughs> with my lollipops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Behold the new face of black horror. Yeah. The lollipop man. The lollipop man. But, you know, I'm not going to bag too much on Candyman because I do feel there was a little bit of studio interference on that particular film. But there was some miss. There were definitely some missteps within that film. Yeah. We're over here shitting on the movie, especially considering Nia DaCosta is younger than both of us. Right. She actually has a movie out and we're just two guys on a microphone. She has a Marvel movie coming. Right. <laughs> so, Who are we? Yeah. We're just. Uh, what would you give the movie? On a what? On a retro, on our retro typical, scale. Uh, <laughs> we, can't, we can't give it. Uh, on a retro scale? Yeah. We got a retro scale now. I would give it a seven and a half out of ten. Seven and a half. Yeah, I think it, it's right at a seven. Um, okay. Yeah, I feel comfortable with that because it, it could have been better. Um, I feel like if they would have put just a little bit more money in it, maybe got a few more actors, well-established actors. It could have been like a classic. But it for where it but was, is it not a classic. It is a classic. But it would have been like a now it's like a cult classic. Okay, I got you on that. But it, it, I feel like it could have been like up there with like an actual, you know, Halloween staple. But no, I, I would give it a seven, a solid seven. Uh, who I am, newest writer for the Kansas City Star. Yeah, that's right, folks. Eric's just over here deadpan. Just the hate in his eyes. Just like, it should have been me. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't say say it. I want to hear it. No. But yes, the exciting news. I have now started my career full-time writing for the Kansas City Star. Uh, But yeah, shout out to you guys. Uh, I cannot understate. I cannot understate how crazy it is to go from doing a podcast to writing for the biggest 
print publication in your city so that is just a testament to how amazing you guys are out there and just continue to follow your dreams and i have to give a huge shout out to my co-host eric who has been my literal day one and you know from the years and years of us saying we need to do a podcast and then the years of us procrastinating to do a podcast and then the first podcast and then the relaunch and see this is why i wish i we had a youtube channel so i could blink twice to show people that i am actually in danger and that i'm being <laughs> held prisoner i have a gun to his head oh yes this is quite he's scary. gonna sit here and listen to it i have no choice i cannot escape this man i've known him for what since 2006 16 years or something and that's unfortunate way too long i was planning on getting rid of you but now that i've ascended to this level i can you can get rid of get me? Get rid of you, yes. Okay, well, now that I'm uh, dispensable, go ahead, get rid of me. Fly, little bird, fly. Okay. You go and be good. No. <laughs> no, it's crazy, though, just to think how far we've come in a year. It's been a year. Yeah, since the re relaunch, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It just goes to show when you're, when you're staying true to yourself and your vision, great things will happen, people. So just continue to go out there. And if people don't believe you can do it, you just... Do it anyways. With great power comes great responsibility. Absolutely. Uh, and some men just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> That's perfect. That was perfect. He came in with the Michael Caine. <laughs> yes, but no, it's been an incredible journey to go from the podcasting to writing these articles to now writing for the star and then we have our eric over here doing his own writing and you know it's very exciting to see the growth yeah yeah we're definitely following our passions and i'm glad we're able to forge new careers and new opportunities for ourselves so you know it's been one great ride and you know i'm glad that you know i can finally you know come to say that you know um this will be my last episode. It won't be. He, quit. he, quit. he literally <laughs> quits every week. No, Eric has a lot of exciting business stuff on the horizon. I am super excited for him and what he's doing with that. And, you know, anything I can do to help that and being in a position to be like, I can actually help something <laughs> now for once. Nah, it's super dope and I'm super appreciative. So from me to you, thank you, Eric. You have had such a huge part to play in this Thank you. Little for, thing we've created here. Thank you for the small bit of recognition after, what, 16 years of friendship? Uh, they've been little. Little doses here and there. A little little sprinkles little, throughout the years. Yeah, so. we don't want to over-season. It has okay. to be palatable for everybody. Oh, okay. But no, I have signed on as the culture and identity reporter for the Kansas City Star, the first of its kind. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. Lord sir. Banks, first of his name. Yes, he has ascended to the throne. Long may he reign. Yes. The king of street. Swear, swear fealty unto thee. Neil. <laughs> king of street journalism. But real talk. No, it's crazy. It's it's crazy to say out loud because this stuff doesn't happen. But I'm super thankful and appreciative to everybody who has contributed anything as far as support just a kind word, music, uh, came on for an interview. All of you guys have been instrumental in so many ways, and I, we definitely appreciate that. And I, you know, we're going to continue to do our best and grow. So hopefully you will continue to help us by sharing and telling people and 
contributing your questions and suggestions and feedback and we'll continue to be doing what we do here so any closing remarks there eric nope just onward and upward onward and upward so yeah that's all we have once again music for the episode is coming to us from styles the artiste and his track hindsight be sure to check him out and all the artists we have featured on our playlist urban alchemy playlist on spotify and yeah that's all we got for today uh so you all stay safe stay blessed and keep creating kc we will catch you all later welcome back to style Looking in hindsight, 2020 misaligned like See it clearly like the light song, shit was looking bright I was feeling blind, had to rub my eyes, get my mind right Money getting longer, it's a lonely cone of growing up alone and terrified 2020 clear hindsight Looking back at all the lessons, I know that I'm blessed cause I could have been dead I've been chasing the money, the bat left me hungry to keep it a hundred I'm losing my head, my niggas is leaving, I'm watching them bleeding They begging and pleading with Jesus to stay Mama's at home and daughters are lonely Sons won't listen to another man, you don't understand You ain't my daddy nigga, can't even pull up to my addy nigga When you hit the block and hit shots, you calling the cops I'm calling the family, my nigga, you heard that? Where the birds at? Little E in the street, have you heard back? Knowing niggas be talking, he served that Now my brother case up cause his words facts Niggas ain't as real as they think they are. <laughs> I'm just go ahead and put that shit out there. This is what we call the true story, though. Said I'm a king, right? Like that nigga that had a dream, right? They flashing your face on the screen, the next thing you know, you on the white seat. That boy has some talent, I wish he could see. He stayed out of trouble, he followed his dreams. I've been to his show, that nigga could speak. I heard that his homie was fucking his queen, he probably deserved it though. Good intentions and confidence took me low. Got me pushing for shit I ain't ready for. Like the bitch on my dick trying to take me home. She's just lonely and horny and need a good nut. Shit, I get it. So I give her the dick when I know she'll be stuck. Shit, I'm with it. Where the dick of the drums, the beating gon' put me in. With the rhythm I'm giving, can't box me in. I've been out of the box since I took a hit. Now I'm higher than high on my fucking shit. Saying fuck it to you on my bucket list. Your support never showed and I took offense. Tell you love it, you hope that I make a hit. I've been hitting the hit since I started this. I don't usually record when I'm talking shit. But Corona done make me say fuck this shit. If I died today, what would you say? And why I ain't here before my last day? Swear we was tight while I lie in the grave. You lie to their face while you lie in my name. But ain't nothing changed cause you still the same. Hold the controller, but won't play the game. Styles, by the way, the artist.